millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. They were, in fact, truanting from school that day. They just hatched this madcap scheme that became an act of extraordinary wickedness. Seeing them and seeing how ordinary looking as little children they were, well, it made it hard, harder to understand than ever, really, that they could have committed such a crime. Hello, my name is Simon Toyne, and I kill people for a living. I often spend days planning the perfect murder, how I'd do it, and more importantly, how I'd get away with it. Uh, but don't worry, I'm not a psychopath, as far as I know. I'm actually just a crime writer, and my murderous thoughts only go as far as the pages of my books, and the occasional podcast, because I'm also the presenter of the CBS reality television series Written in Blood, and this is the companion podcast. Here you'll get additional content, uh, behind-the-scenes insight, and much more detail about the cases we feature and the authors I meet. This is the second podcast in the series, so hopefully by now you've watched the TV episode of show two, and if not, I suggest you tune into that first, and then have a listen to this podcast. That way you'll avoid any spoilers, and you'll discover the story in the same way that I did. In this episode, award-winning author Alex Marwood walks me through one of the most notorious crimes the UK has ever witnessed, the brutal, violent murder of two-year-old James Bulger in Liverpool. Alex is a very skilled writer, uh, one who Stephen King, no less, described as scary as hell. Um, and she tends to throw her readers into uncomfortable moral dilemmas and awkward what-would-I-do moments and situations. Um, so it's little wonder, really, that this case gave her plenty of inspiration for her works of fiction. Uh, but before I delve into more detail, let's find out more about Alex. I'm very chaotic all driven by character and I will explore and explore and explore I would say for a hundred thousand word book I will probably write and throw away between 40 and 60 thousand words um, of just exploration of the people and description of where they live and description of 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 their situation and and um, and I will keep thinking that I'm writing chapter one and I never am. And then eventually, after about 40,000 words, I will hit chapter one. Um, and uh, yeah, that is a pretty chaotic way to go about it. I'm not, a, I'm not a, a plotter ahead of time. Every time I've tried plotting ahead, um, it just comes out so late. 
My baseline um, belief is that absolutely everybody is capable of wickedness, um, and um, that 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 uh, you know some of us some of us choose to act upon it, some of us choose not to act upon it. A lot of us actually just do make stupid decisions that then snowball into into acts of great wickedness. Um, but um, you know, most most people most people will you know have done some really dumb things in their lives, and most people have actually made decisions to be nasty rather than be nice at periods in their lives. And um, the process of then of self justification kicks in, and so you know, but by by the time the act is over or at least a few days later most people will have managed to justify in their heads why they did it and it was because it was somebody else's fault. I don't do nice clean happy endings because life doesn't do nice clean happy endings um you know and that's something that some readers don't like I mean you know that definitely is um a considerable element of the of the crime reading community that actually read crime books because it's sort of in a way makes you feel sort of safer um, to know that that crimes are solved and justice is done. Um, the people who like my books like the fact that um, that, that I don't I don't tie tie things up. Also, I mean, you know, the other thing is that it's just that you know, no no book is the full story of somebody's life, you know. Um, I begin, at, it begins at a certain point and it ends at a certain point and it's really just a vignette of one episode of something that happens. With The Wicked Girls it was, the question that I was mostly asking myself was um, if you did something really horrendous um, as a child, would you ever recover from it as an adult? Um, and you sort of think around the sorts of the sort of person you would become if um, you had done something horrific, if your 11-year-old self had um, dictated how the whole course of your future would go. Alex also told me about her rules of writing and how she considers certain areas off-limits for fiction. If there's one thing I wouldn't write about I think it's basically torture porn. I'm really not interested in gleefully exploring the slicing. It's something I've wrestled with myself and I think all authors do. Uh, when you write what are primarily pieces of entertainment you have to look very hard at the subjects you choose to be the vehicle of those stories. In my last book for example, The Boy Who Saw, I have a whole backstory rooted in the Nazi death camps and the people who survived them. Now, to fully bring home the horror of those places, I had to describe what happened there, which could very easily have veered into some kind of gratuitous exercise in shock value, because the stuff that happened in those places was truly horrendous and also kind of weirdly fascinating. So anyway, I, when I was approaching that book, I thought long and hard about whether it was a suitable subject for a modern thriller. But in the end, it was actually the news that made my mind up for me. Um, and in my acknowledgements, I write about the political climate at the time I was writing the book uh, and the worrying resurgence of populist right-wing politicians. Also, a large theme of, uh, of that book is, deals with the importance of remembering uh, and of retelling uh, the bad stories, especially the bad stories, so that people don't forget them. 
Um, there's a very famous quote that says something like, those who fail to learn the lessons of history are doomed to repeat them. Uh, and it felt very much to me that as a society, we were running the risk of doing exactly that uh, by being taken in by politicians and policies that seemed divisive and hate-filled and, and that chose to demonise the vulnerable uh, and um, outliers for their own political uh, gain. Uh, and it, it, you know, it struck me that we have a duty to remember and to study the worst parts of human nature, whether it's in history books, on the news, or in the pages of crime novels, because all of those things make us think and feel something. And, and that is what connects us all, and that is the important stuff, really. Um, it's, what, it's what makes us human. Uh, so I would say, for me, there are really no subjects that are off-limits, uh, provided this one kind of little coda is that you are respectful to the subject matter um, and also that the purpose of your story, whatever story you're telling, is honourable. So as long as it's not gratuitous, as far as I'm concerned, any subject is a fit subject for a book. And part of the job of being a crime writer is to look at the things that lie in the shadows um, and to study the worst parts of human nature, uh, to try and understand them. And the case I explored with Alex was about as dark as real life gets. Uh, it's a case that almost everyone has heard of and been shocked by, and I was no different, um, because it was a murder not only of a young child, but one that was carried out by young children. The offenders, John Venables and Robert Thompson, were just 10 years old when they abducted James Bulger, who was two. They took him across the city and then brutally murdered him on a railway line. And it was the level of violence, combined with the age of the offenders and the victim, that made this story reach every corner of the globe. It stirred up the strongest of feelings on the streets too, not just in Liverpool, but everywhere. So there was almost a, a kind of medieval level of public anger directed towards the, the boys who did this crime. And throughout the making of this film, I wanted to try and understand not only why this murder happened, but also why it's still talked about today. And it's this extreme notoriety and public reaction to a murder which Alex plays on in her book, The Wicked Girls, so I asked her during filming exactly what it was about this case that got under her skin. Awful things took place, awful things. I mean, they, you know, they did basically set about torturing this poor little child. So now they've I got mean, him. of course, obviously, to an extent, it's difficult without their, their full confession of their timeline to know what exactly happened, when and where. It's not as if, you know, they, they just sort of hurt him and, and yeah. then got bored and ran away. It was, it was it escalated in, in, to the in, point... In legal terms, you know, if somebody dies while you are deliberately doing an act of violence to them, that is murder and not mm. manslaughter, you know, because you have chosen to do the act of violence. Mm -hmm. um, so it is unquestionably murder. Her book, The Wicked Girls, comes at the story from the perspective of the offenders and poses the complex moral questions of how someone as an adult could possibly get past the fact that they'd committed an offence like this uh, when they were still a child. Which meant that Alex had to get herself into the mindset of children capable of doing very bad things and look at the world through their eyes. One of the things that is sort of as a writer is fascinating is the degree of trauma that actually committing murder produces. Mm. Um, you know, and and again it's it's because quite rightly, you know, we we actually, you know, think mostly, you know, in real life about the degree of trauma that, that the victim and the um and their and their their loved ones have to go through, you know. 
it's 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 an appalling thing to have killed somebody. I mean, you know, um, uh, policemen who are actually, you know, trained to do specifically that still have to have vast amounts of um, of counselling after they've done it because it is it is it's 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 actually completely unless you are a complete psychopath, you know, it is it is something that is completely beyond the human framework to actually cope with. Mm. So you know, they 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 wouldn't have stood a chance of. Um, surviving and recovering from this, I think. In writing any book, um, we always have to see the story from every angle, which means you have to create a kind of self-induced schizophrenia where you become both victim and suspect, um, detective and criminal. Because to create believable characters, uh, which includes the villains, you have to get inside their heads and kind of follow their logic and feel their feelings and understand their uh, emotional and physical responses to the world around them. You have to kind of you have to kind of become them to a degree, I suppose. It's like method writing. Uh, and that's all the more disturbing when you are basing fictional characters on real life people who've actually done the things that you are only imagining. So so okay so now they've been they've been apprehended and yeah. so the situation now where it's like um, and I, I you know how do they proceed because again you know your book kind of pretty mm. much uses this as a sort of leap off point and then jumps forward 25 yeah. years and yeah. it's like so um, you must have had to kind of go through that and think about what it would be like that you know this There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's the sort of first step on this journey to all of a sudden these people becoming, you know, forever... Uh, branded with this and never been able to get under this. You know, they, they clearly are not going to get away with it. Yeah. They thought they might in their 10-year-old's yeah. crazy yeah. way. They're not. They're there. But you They've see, even persons. then, I mean, I, I don't think, you know, even if they thought that they might, you know, and even if they had, they would never have recovered from this. They wouldn't have, you know. Um, well, even or, if they'd got away with it, you Even think? if they'd got away with it. I think, I think, I think that this would have been... Um, a first downward step to absolute, um, absolute, ab absolute sort of end of life for them, really. Mm -hmm. You know, and in some ways, I think that they were fortunate actually that they were 
they were caught and given an opportunity to be rehabilitated, although, you know, it has been more successful with one for one than for the other. But is there any is there any kind of closure on us you know, that horrible word, but is there any kind of full stop? I mean in a book this is the thing, isn't it? You can you can tie things up and you can come to an end of that. Actually I mean you know, that was the thing. In the end the 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 end of my book is actually extremely nebulous and um, it's quite interesting because uh, some people object to the book because they feel that somehow the women have got away with it mm. um, whereas actually as far as I'm concerned they both end, are still being clearly They're being punished and punished by themselves mm. 25 years later. They're still in the shadow of what yeah. they did yeah. Yeah. So, there's, so in a sense you know there's no solutions and full and stops are, and the endings. And, and real life is messy and there are no solutions. Sometimes they just aren't. Okay. For something this complex, yeah, there are no easy answers. are just going to have to learn somehow to live with what happened to their son. But they'll never be all right with it. No, I mean, you can't and ever get past they. that. No, you can't. You can never get past that. No. In making this episode, Alex took me to Liverpool and we visited the key locations related to James's murder. Retracing his fateful last journey to the place where his body was eventually found. And I have to say, it was a very eerie experience, uh, but not for the reasons I thought it might be. Um, we did the journey in daylight, uh, which was just as the boys did for the most part. Um, and there were houses and people and cars everywhere. I mean, it was teeming with life and normality. So, this is where, the, so they were walking the two and a half mile journey ended. Here we think. This is where they on the up. railway line up there, yeah. somewhere. The, yeah. end, the thing that struck me as well about the, the journey here as well is it's so it's kind of like this. It's 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 heavily populated the whole yeah. way. It's not yeah. as if they were there's kind people, of going people, across. People, people, people. Yeah, there's no common commons or parks or fields or hills or anything. There's just people. Which partly explains how many people saw them on the way. You know, yeah. that many witnesses. And I guess to an extent, might have uh, might suggest why so many people thought that, you know, that they noticed it, but they thought it wasn't that big a deal because actually there are houses full of families around here. Yeah, it's just very, uh, I mean, it's just a bridge, isn't it? It's a railway bridge. Yeah, it's so just a, bit a railway thing. bridge, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't look twice unless no. you knew the story. No, but yes, I mean, you know, how would one, how would one write this scene to go? I, again, I think as a writer, I would actually concentrate on on the mundanity of it, of the fact that it is actually still, although they managed to find a little scrap. I mean, you know, cities are actually full of these little scraps of stuff that we don't think of as wasteland until mm. they suddenly become wasteland, if mm. you sort of mean, until you know. a, Yes, or um, until a body is so found So I think them. I would be much more likely to be concentrating as a writer on the fact that, you know, there are four lanes of traffic up and down this road. There are houses really close by that are full mm. of other kids. Yeah, there's um, a police station. There's a police station right on there. the other side. You know. I mean, that might be a little um, twist you'd, you'd think was a bit too far. All the of day-to-day life. Yeah, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't put, you couldn't put because that in a, um, in a, in a, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, you, you'd know, you'd know you'd get hate mail on Amazon mm. if you, if you, if you did something like that, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, it is, you know, it's the modernity, but then also these little sort of, pimples of something that sort of that broken pipe on the um yeah with all the green um, slime yeah coming out of it. with all the green slime coming out of it you know and the rubbish piled up around the the little junction box and um and that sort of stuff so you know it is a normal place but it is also a slightly neglected place yes 
you tend to think of crimes being hidden and furtive things, uh, whereas this was like clearly right out in the open. I mean, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what I was expecting. Maybe something more gothic and awful and befitting of this sort of totemic crime. I suppose I expected uh, vast tracts of anonymous urban wasteland uh, where two ten-year-olds could justifiably or understandably lead a two-year-old for over two hours without getting stopped. But then another thing I found out, which I didn't know before, was um, that they were, they were stopped. There were 36 witnesses who saw them all together over the course of this. That's a lot of people, then, A lot of people. All of them said, oh, well, we, you know, we thought they were just with a, a little brother. You know, these were kids. Mm. Nobody's going to be thinking, oh, those 10-year-old kids are off to doing something awful to that child, mm. you know. It was, he was too small a child to be going, help, help, I don't know these people. Mm. And yet, despite all that, despite this um, transparency of them wandering around and being stopped, uh, James Bulger still ended up dead on a railway line, um, which was... That was kind of an extra shock to me, I suppose. I mean, if I was writing this as a novel uh, and this happened, you know, they walked along the street and various people stopped them, then all of a sudden these people who stopped them and did nothing would, would take on some kind of um, thematic importance. They would, they would represent all of us, you know, the, um, the society who looked on and didn't stop this tragedy, um, you know, the passers-by who didn't do enough, um, the, the sort of failed Samaritans, I suppose. Um, they would they would be rather than just kind of passers by asking a question and then you know being satisfied with the response of oh he's my brother or just taking him home or whatever which you know is very plausible and people don't want to get involved this is the thing is is you know we are very polite people and you know we express a concern and if they go oh, I'm just taking him home which is what they did you don't want to interfere um but in the end they ended up there's these concerned voices of a kind of a safe authority who weren't quite concerned enough. Um, another thing of the things that struck me about that journey um, was about was how apparently unplanned and unconcealed it was. Um, it's and it felt to me that Thompson and Venables were not at any point acting like two killers who were about to commit a murder. Uh, they weren't furtive. They weren't um, circumspect in their actions. They didn't try and stay out of. Uh, out of sight, um, you know, even when they were stopped once by bystanders, it's not like they then went and hid somewhere. It didn't seem like they had anything particularly bad in mind during most of that journey. They just seemed like two bored kids looking for something to do, kind of wandering the streets fairly aimlessly. And, and you know, in a horrible sort of dispassionate uh, kind of look at or a, a interpretation of what happened... It was like James Bulger was a toy they'd stolen from a shop, played with for a bit, then got bored with, and ultimately just decided to break it. They weren't on anybody's radar. I mean, you know, they were they were a bit on social services' radar, but, you know, they were... But not in any kind of, yeah, like, there's annoying, no red flags. Annoying, truanty ten-year-olds. Yeah. And they were, in fact, truanting from school that day. And, um, and were bored. And, just and looking so they just hatched, hatched this this madcap scheme that Snatch became, kid. yeah, which became, became murderous, a, 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 an act of extraordinary wickedness. There's one other part of the film I want to focus on a little bit more, and that's those bits of police interview where we heard the voices of Thompson and Venables. 
because I think those clips speak volumes uh, and say more about the case than anything else, to me at least, because they sound so young. Those tiny, high-pitched, fragile voices. They're so unformed and apparently oblivious to the enormity of what they've done and what they're confessing to. And what was it you told us? Colonel James. Right. Now, I know that took a lot of doing. You can't tell me anything else. Why? That's the worst bit. Why? Okay, right. I know that's the worst bit, but you know what you did. Why? Think about it. Why? And just tell us what happened. I mean, you can tell they know they've done something wrong and that they're in some kind of trouble. But there's no sense that they have any idea that their lives are effectively over. That um, whoever they were and whatever they were going to become is now dead. It's as dead as the little boy they left half buried on that railway line. And so just hearing those tiny little voices kind of drifting across almost 20 years now, it's like hearing ghosts talking, kind of thin and, and almost transparent. You took them away, and you took them to throw bricks out. And then... Who, who did? Robbie. Why did he throw bricks at him? Mm. Where did the stones and the bar hit him? In the head. Was he bleeding? Oh, neither. What was he bleeding from? His face. Then it was Robert's idea to kill him. OK. Is it finished now, because I can't speak anymore? Of course, no murder can ever be excused, no matter what the age of the offenders or the circumstances surrounding the crime. And quite rightly, these boys had to serve a sentence. But in many ways, their sentence extends far beyond the time they spent in custody. It still continues today, as Thompson and Venables, or whatever they're now called, are massively restricted in where they can go and what they can reveal about who they really are. Because they will constantly be watchful, and fearful of discovery and reprisals from the many people who have pledged to find them and exact their own justice for what they did to James Bulger. So the story continues. And though they may have liberty of sorts, they will never, ever be free. This podcast is the accompaniment to the TV series Written in Blood, which airs on Sunday nights on CBS Reality at 10pm. Feel free to tweet me any comments or questions you have um, at Simon Toyne, all lowercase, all one word, uh, using the hashtag writteninblood. Or you can contact me on my Facebook author page. Um, It's easy to find. Just um, put in my name in Facebook. And um, when you see the picture, I've got like a half a face. Um, Then go to that one. That's my author page. Um, And it's always lovely to hear from you. So do drop me a line Uh, next week I visit Rotherham uh, with a true crime great uh, Peter James Um, and the accompanying podcast to that will go live immediately after the programme airs or you can hit subscribe right now to make sure you don't miss it that's it from me thank you for listening I'm Simon Toyne and this has been the Written in Blood podcast
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.